Well, the meal that Christians share, the meal that we are going to share together this morning, that Jesus himself instituted with his disciples, is called by different names. So sometimes you might hear it referred to as communion. Right? Sometimes you might hear, hear it referred to as the Eucharist. Sometimes as the Lord's Supper, or sometimes simply uh, just in terms of coming to the Lord's table. And often a particular name goes with a particular view of the Lord's Supper. So for example, if somebody told you, I took communion today, you would probably not think that they had been at a Baptist church, right? Whereas if somebody said, I got to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, you would probably not think they had been at an Anglican church that morning, right? We've sort of just grown into these um, traditions or ways of referring to the Lord's Supper that that tend to be associated with different uh, understandings of how the Lord's Supper is to be approached and celebrated and all those kinds of things, but... Before we draw those lines in the sand too deeply, it's important to recognize that there is nothing wrong with any of those terms. In fact, all of them are biblical, and the ones that, in our tradition, we tend to use least often um, actually are words borrowed directly from passages of Scripture describing the Lord's Supper. So, for example, take the word communion. We think, well, where does that come from? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper and participating in the Lord's Supper. And in the King James Version of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, Paul says, the cup of blessing which we bless. So he's talking about the cup we drink from in the Lord's Supper. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, in the English Standard Version, that word communion is translated participation, which has the same basic meaning. But the word communion right, is a biblical word that is associated in the Bible with the Lord's Supper. And the same is true of the word Eucharist. The word Eucharist is actually uh, a word that shows up in Matthew 26, where we're going to be looking here in just a few moments. In Matthew 26, when Jesus is sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, uh, he's instituting the Lord's Supper. When it says, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. The word, when he had given thanks, or he had given thanks, that's the word Eucharisteo. It's just, it's just a word that means to give thanks. Right? So that's, it's a word borrowed straight from the Bible. comes right out of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper. It just means to give thanks. So, so you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to say, oh, we don't believe in communion. Well, yeah, you do. Because the Bible says this is communion. You don't want to say, well, I don't believe in the Eucharist. Because you do. You believe in giving thanks. You believe that Jesus gave thanks for the cup when he shared it with his disciples. We give thanks as we participate in the Lord's Supper. You might say, we understand communion differently than you. We celebrate the Lord's Supper 
a little bit differently than you, but it's not that we don't believe in communion or don't believe in the Eucharist. We do believe in those things because those are biblical things. Now I'll touch on uh, in a little bit some of the different views of the Lord's Supper just so we know kind of where, where different people land on different aspects of what the Bible uh, communicates to us about this uh, particular meal. But for now, I just want us to um, kind of pull back a little bit and look at the big picture and look in particular this morning at what Jesus himself said when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Because what we're going to find is everybody, everybody who's a part of a, a genuine Christian denomination or church or whatever, they're trying to faithfully interpret and apply what Jesus says. Now, some of them, we're going to disagree with how they do that, right? But everybody's trying to take seriously what Jesus says in this passage. And so we need to think seriously and take seriously what Jesus says in this passage as well. So we're going to look at Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. These are what we call the words of institution. Because this is what Jesus spoke to his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper, when it became a thing, right? So he's sitting down to the Passover meal with his disciples, and from that Passover meal, he establishes what we now call the Lord's Supper or communion or whatever. So Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29, says this. Now as they were eating, again, they were eating the Passover, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take Eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, as they're sitting down to this meal, the first thing Jesus does is he takes bread. Verse 26 says that Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. I think there's more significance in each word of this passage than uh, most of us have had the opportunity to pause and reflect on. I think it's significant that it says Jesus broke the bread. As, as small and insignificant as that might seem, it is very significant because Jesus is going to tell us in a minute, this bread is my body. So if this bread represents your body, what does you breaking it represent? Well, of course, there's a sense in which Jesus' body was not broken because the Bible says that not one of his bones was broken. And this fulfilled uh, prophecy. It fulfilled the scripture about the Passover lamb. You weren't supposed to break any of the bones of the Passover lamb when it was sacrificed for the Passover meal. And when Jesus was crucified without any of his bones being broken, John tells us in John 19 that that fulfilled those words about the Passover lamb. So in one sense, Jesus' body was not broken in the sense that his bones were not broken. But clearly, there is a sense in which his body was broken. It was broken to the point of death. It was 
beaten, right? It was nailed to the cross. It endured all that a physical body could endure, right? Up to the point of death. And so when Jesus takes the bread and breaks it before giving it to his disciples, even the brokenness of the bread is meant to remind us of what Jesus suffered, what Jesus endured, what his physical body went through in order to accomplish for us this salvation that this meal is reminding us of. And then it's significant that after he broke it, he gave it to them. He gave it to them because it's, it's a gift. Right? This, he's going to say, this is my body and I'm, I'm giving it to you. This is something significant that shows up over and over again in the Bible. Just a couple places uh, we hear this emphasis on Jesus giving himself for us. Or places like Ephesians 5.2, when we're told to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Or in Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus gives the broken bread to his disciples, it is a living picture of what he is about to do for them on the cross. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my body. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you this costly gift. And then when he gives it to them, it says that he says to them, take and eat. It is not something that they are meant merely to observe or look at or watch. They don't watch Jesus eat it. They themselves are supposed to eat it. Why? Why does Jesus want them to eat this bread? Why not just say, see this bread, it's my body, and then put it back down? Why are you supposed to take it in? Because if this bread represents Jesus, what are we supposed to do with Jesus? Are we supposed to just look at him from a distance? Observe? Hmm, He's interesting. I don't know what I think about him. No, we're supposed to receive him. We're supposed to embrace him. We're supposed to believe him. We're supposed to come to him. And so when Jesus gives us the bread and says, this is my body, he wants us to take it in just like he wants us to trust him. He wants us to receive the bread like he wants us to receive him. And then he says... This is my body. Now, this is where um, most of the the disagreements and differences among Christians arise on what is happening, what is taking place uh, when we celebrate this meal together. There are four major views of of what it means um, that this is Jesus' body. Uh, The Roman Catholic view, of course, is called transubstantiation. That's a big word, but it's not as scary as it sounds, right? Trans, at the beginning, we know what that means. It just means change, like transform, right? And then the substantiation part has the word substance in it. So what Roman Catholics believe is that the, the elements, the bread and the wine, that 
it changes substance. That the substance of the bread and the substance of the wine are transformed into the literal body and blood of Christ. When, in other words, when they hear Jesus say, this is my body, they think, that's really his body. Now, at the time of the, of the Reformation, um, there were some significant disagreements about that. And one of the things the Reformers rejected was the Catholic Church's view of the Lord's Supper, of transubstantiation. Martin Luther, his view was a little bit different, but to us doesn't sound all that much different. His view was called consubstantiation. Con just means with, right? And his view was not that the bread and wine transform into Jesus' body and blood, but that in some way Jesus is with, in, and around those elements, the bread and the wine. Again, to us, that sounds not that much different. For him, it was very different. But he insisted, right, in in conversation with some of the other reformers, he insisted um, that we take the statement, this is my body with its full weight. That's what he thought he was doing. Now the third view um, is the view held by John Calvin, another one of the reformers, uh, called the spiritual presence view. And what Calvin was saying was essentially... When we take the Lord's Supper, there is a sense in which Jesus is, in some mysterious way, spiritually present with us. It's not like his body and blood are present in the bread and the wine, but he is present. He is here. He is with us, and we are communing with him. We are fellowshipping with him as we take the bread and the wine. And then the last view, the fourth view, is called the symbolic view or the memorial view. This view puts its emphasis on Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me. That we're just, what we're doing when we take this meal is we're remembering who Jesus is and what Jesus did in his death and resurrection for our salvation. It's a memorial and that the elements are Symbols, right? They don't actually become the body and blood of Christ, but they symbolize the body and blood of Christ. And we would say, uh, you know, in, in favor of this view, that when Jesus was sitting at the table with his disciples, and he took a piece of bread and said to them, This is my body, right? we would say they knew he wasn't saying, Here's a piece of my flesh. He was saying, this bread represents my body. It symbolizes my body. Just like Jesus says all over the place, things like, I am the door. I am the vine, right? I am the good shepherd. All of those are metaphors. They're symbols. They're ways of communicating something true about who Jesus is that don't change Jesus into something else. He doesn't become a door when he says that. Everybody knows that's not what he means. We would argue this similarly here, that when Jesus says, this is my body, he's not saying that the bread has somehow become his body, but that it, it symbolizes, it represents his body. Now again, all of these views are trying to take seriously Jesus' statement, this is my body, and The statement, do this in remembrance of me, they do so differently, in different ways, with different emphasis. Baptists reject transubstantiation, reject consubstantiation. Again, because we believe when Jesus says, this is my body, he's he's saying it's a symbol. 
right? This represents something. Um, later, I hope to come back and talk more about the spiritual presence view and the memorial view and how those two views actually can go together. Uh, but for this morning, I, I, I want to say uh, something about how we treat symbols, right? So we don't we don't want to go we don't want to go too far right into the transubstantiation consubstantiation camps because we do believe that these are not it's not literally the body and blood of Christ. It is symbolic, and yet when we say in a marriage ceremony, something like, I give you this ring as a symbol of my love. We expect that symbol to be treated a certain way. Right? And something about the way you treat that symbol communicates something about the way you're going to treat the real thing. Right? If you say, this is, I give you this ring as a symbol of my love, and you drop it, put it down, you know, play with it or whatever in, in the middle of the marriage ceremony. Man, I don't know. Like, do you care that I love you? Like, do you, you know, it, it, it's something about that's not right. Um, so even when we say these are just symbols, right? It's, it's just bread. It's just grape juice, right? It's, it's not the actual body and blood of Christ. We of course, do not believe that. It's, they're just symbols. And yet, they are symbols of something incredibly significant. And so they ought not to be treated lightly. We ought not to treat the Lord's Supper itself lightly. Because it symbolizes the greatest gift we've ever been given. The greatest act of salvation that God has ever accomplished. So, next Jesus takes the cup. It says, verse 27, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. So again, he gives the cup. He doesn't make them come get it, right? They don't have to wrestle for it, fight for it, earn it. He gives it to them. It's grace. It's a gift. And he, again, tells them all to participate. Drink it, all of you. Take it in. Receive it. To refuse to receive a gift that has been given to you is not humility, it's ingratitude. We ought to receive what God has given to us. Now, I'm not saying there's never a good reason to abstain from receiving the Lord's Supper. There are good reasons at times for abstaining from receiving the Lord's Supper. But those ought to be rare. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you should be participating in the Lord's Supper often. Again, there might be times where, for one reason or another, you you can't or shouldn't, but most of the time, you should be participating. You should be not just observing, but taking in. And then Jesus says, he says, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And there's a lot there. What is he saying here about the cup. Why does he say, this is my blood which is poured out? Well, when, you, when your blood is poured out, what's that signifying, right? It's death. And in particular, in the Bible, especially a sacrificial death. 
Right? Blood is poured out in sacrifice. For example, in Leviticus 24, when it's talking about one of the, the sacrifices that can be offered at the tabernacle, it says, The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. So Jesus is not just saying, This cup represents my blood. He's saying, This cup represents my blood poured out. This cup represents the sacrifice of my death. That I'm not, I'm not dying just like everybody else dies. I'm dying in your place. I'm dying as a substitute. I'm dying as a sacrifice. And the pouring out of the fruit of the vine into this cup represents that. And he says it's poured out for many. Not just one or just a few or just these 12 disciples. It's poured out for many, as Jesus said elsewhere, even the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus laid down his life for a multitude of people. We see in the book of Revelation an innumerable multitude of people gathered around the Lamb. Worshipping Him. Why? Because He has saved them. He has redeemed them by His blood. So His blood is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Why? Why is that necessary? For the forgiveness of sins, He says. When He says that He gives His life as a ransom for many, we need to be ransomed because we're not free. And we're not free because we have been enslaved to sin. And we need our sins forgiven and we need to be set free. And that's what Jesus' death accomplishes. He cleanses us from all of our sin, forgives us of all of our sins, sets us free, gives us new life through His death on our behalf, in our place. He says also, this is my blood of the covenant. And this is something else I want to come back to again later in another sermon. But I want to touch on it at least a little bit here now. Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Luke, when Luke records uh, this moment, these words, he says, uh, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. A part of what Jesus is saying there is, is uh, we're not under the old covenant anymore. right? We're now under the new covenant. We're not under the covenant God made with Israel through Moses. We're now under the covenant made Secured, sealed by Jesus Himself. We are in Christ. And the new covenant uh, is a a set of promises that includes not only forgiveness of sin, but also the privilege of knowing God and being in fellowship with Him. And Jesus is saying, I am purchasing that for you. I am securing that for you through my death, through my blood. Knowing what the Lord's Supper symbolizes, knowing what it communicates, knowing what it is about, and how it is to be participated in. It makes sense why this is only for believers. right? We say if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized as a believer, we welcome you to participate. That implies if you're not a believer, you shouldn't participate. Why? Because this meal is about remembering Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of my sacrifice, in remembrance of my death, in remembrance of the salvation I have accomplished for you. If you've not received that salvation, embrace that salvation, embrace Christ himself, 
then you can't really take the meal remembering Him. But if you're not a believer, we want you to believe. We want you to receive Jesus. We want you to recognize what He's done, what He's accomplished, what He has given, what He has offered. Remember, He said He did this for many. And He says, if you will will turn from your sin and trust in Me, it is for you. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be a part of my family. You will be uh, one of those who receives all that I've purchased for you through this death, through this sacrifice. So believe and trust Him and He will welcome you at His table. Now, you might have noticed that I didn't say anything at the beginning about where the name the Lord's Supper comes from. I told you where communion comes from. I told you where Eucharist comes from. You might say, well, hold on, that's not, those aren't the ones we normally use. What about the one we normally use? Where does that come from? Why do we call this meal the Lord's Supper? Well, we call it the Lord's Supper because it was the Lord himself who established it and instructed his disciples to celebrate it. We call it that because it is the Lord Jesus himself who is the host of this meal, so to speak. He prepared it. He designed it. He created it. He established it. We are his guests at his table. And we call it the Lord's Supper because we remember the Lord when we take it. The meal reminds us of his body, his blood, his sacrifice, his gift of salvation freely given to us. So when we take this meal in a few moments, let's be sure that we are remembering, celebrating, giving thanks for all that the Lord has done for us.